0: Hi, I'm Ronan Leonard, and we're here on the Cultural Matters podcast.
1: Build your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural fails and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters on International Business. Your host, Chris Smith, has a plan. A plan for people who are looking for a solution. He makes you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences. Every episode, he interviews a prominent guest who'll tell you his or her story and share international experiences, making you more cultural competent. And now, here's your host,
2: Chris Smith. Hi, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. My name is Chris Smith, and you're listening to the Culture Matters Podcast. We are on episode 119. If you have not subscribed to this podcast, I think it's a great time to do that. Right now, go to iTunes, subscribe, or Spotify, and subscribe, or go to Stitcher, and subscribe. Anywhere you can get the podcast as well. The Culture Matters Podcast this week with Ronan Leonard. Ronan helps self-employed professionals who don't earn enough revenue from their vast expertise to identify and package up the most valuable part of their expertise and create a whole new revenue stream. But we don't only talk about that, we basically cover four interesting topics. First of all, we talk about how to adapt, in terms of language at least, from the UK to Australia. Then we talk about a decade-long living on cruise ships there's a inter- very interesting anecdote uh, going on there as well then life in india in goa and then how you could benefit from being part of a mastermind all this from Ronard, ronan leonard let's get right to the interview
1: it's time for this week's guest at culture matters
2: hey ronan good morning or good afternoon or maybe even good evening how are you i'm well thank you chris thanks for having me on the show okay my my pleasure i think and this is for the audience to to know and to warn them a little bit i think we have a bit of a delay when it comes to um me saying something and you getting what i said and vice versa as well so if there's it's if if it seems like the conversation is slow that's only because the connection seems to be lagging a little bit um that's correct <clears throat> leonard uh, you can hear me right
0: I can, Chris, yeah. We can obviously only talk as fast as the internet will let us.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Okay, so given the fact that we have a bit of a delay, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, and introduce yourself a little bit, because you seem to be far away. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you come from? Where are you right now? And what would you consider your so-called cultural frame of reference?
0: Oh, Chris, my name is Ronald Leonard, as you said in the intro. I'm originally from the UK, and and, and I feel like I'm a bit of a, a mongrel. So I'm half Welsh, half Irish, born in England. Okay. So if, if people don't know, know the Brits, they're quite territorial. So very, very mixed up. And for for a big chunk of my, my first 20 years, I, I lived in several different places. So my parents moved constantly. And, and then at very early 20s, I uh, got this travel bug, left and all around the world tickets and traveled the world. Worked on cruise ships for nearly a decade. I lived in India, so I'm I'm a pretty well-travelled person. Mm-hmm. Predominantly where there's been a port, so if there's a port and a ship can go there, yeah. I've I've been there. So that's that's a very short snapshot of, of my travel and my my experience of, of moving around the world. And and where are you now, um, uh, Roden? And now I'm based in Melbourne, Australia, which is the sporting capital of Australia.
2: Okay. <clears throat>
0: so you 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 wrote in your intro and the audience doesn't know that.
2: You moved, well, you you say you're like a mix up of being Welsh and Irish. Um getting or having a British passport. You wrote in the email that email conversation that we had prior to this recording that you you had to adapt to Australian culture or to Australian life or lifestyle maybe. Um even though you you both share the same language, English. Where did that come from or what did you have to do?
0: Well, you think this can be quite straightforward to move to a country that exactly. speaks, speaks English. Yeah. But if you've ever travelled to the US or even even within the UK, you can go 30 miles down the road and there's a different dialect uh-huh. and there's different euphemisms and phrases. So some of those just take some getting used to. Sometimes you say the wrong thing, which means something completely different in, in English in another country. That's just the way they take it. So it's, it's an adaptive, adapting phase and even now, there's certain Australian phrases yeah. that my wife would say or her parents would say that I'd never heard before. And I've been here nearly 18 years now. So you are, even though it's, it's, it's a low barrier, it's not like I'm trying to learn a new, a new um, completely new language. But I am still trying to learn the cultural nuances in, in, in an English-speaking language.
2: Can you give us some examples of, of something that, that you either recently heard or something that sticks out when it comes to language?
0: Oh, they say. Well, here in Australia, they, having sex is a root, which in in Europe a root is is you know a tree or a branch that's 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 in something. So you can you can slip up with that. Right. Uh, there's a couple of very you know really small, almost innocuous sayings that that that, that people use and certain generations use. And as language changes. Maybe not that people in their twenties are using it. You've only got to look at social media to see how mm-hmm. that's changed. But you're always being tripped up and said, oh, "I haven't heard that before. What exactly does that mean?" Right. You might have a guess at it, but you're not really sure.
2: Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting because we have this. I mean, be me being Dutch myself and living in Belgium, uh, sharing the same language. Well, officially, I'm doing air quotes. Officially, they grammatically the same language, but indeed, I can I can compose sentences in the the local dialect if you want that a Dutchman would just never understand. Um, and it's it's also I think there's a good difference between say uh, your British English and the English spoken in South Africa because I mean one of the things that stuck sticks out for me is the the South African English word for traffic light which they call a robot. Um, which I think stems for, from, from the old days when maybe this thing was seen as like like this magnificent piece of technology that would jump from red to yellow to, to green or the other way around. I think that stems just from old origins. Is that is that something you can place in, in the language differences there as well?
0: Yeah, there are definitely euphemisms that you just sort of jar with you. It doesn't matter how old you are, you're just not used to them and it's just not part of your, your lexicon, your language. I even worked with, I worked with this Danish guy on, on cruise ships. Mm-hmm. And we would, I was would talking about because because English is really good. And, and for us British, you know, most of us don't speak a second language. So uh-huh. hats off to you that your English is almost flawless. Uh-huh. But I was talking to him about just about the language. And he said he actually dreams in English, hmm. which was quite a strange thing to say. He just says, you know, his words and his phrases and how he thinks, he actually dreams in English. So I thought that was fascinating that, you know, he's... he's it's not his first language, and yet he dreams in English.
2: Yeah, I think I think maybe for me, I mean, if I, I can relate to that, being uh, that that English is a very compact language, you can say something really compact in English that would take more words and would have less of a pun uh, in 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 my own Dutch language. I am currently I'm studying Spanish, and I do Spanish English. I mean, it's it's. I do this in a in a dutch speaking uh part of the world but still i i i i do write the translations of the spanish in english i just find that easier so i can i can pretty much relate to that um but enough about me it's about you to be honest this what interests me is is the cruise ship time that you that you spend there you said any any part in the world that has a port you've been there with the cruise ship you've done that for decades how do you how do you end up there and what is life like on a cruise ship is it like i mean it's the obvious thing love boat okay so is it is it, <laughs> is, it, is, it is it like that or is it not like that
0: well, not when it sinks off the wild coast of South Africa, which is what happened to me, but okay. how I got into it was uh, purely nepotism. My my mother's school friend emigrated to Greece and mm-hmm. she could touch time. This is back in, I think, the 70s or very early 80s, mm-hmm. which was almost unheard of. So she immediately got promoted in this cruise line to, to work with the CEO. So she was very sort of high up and, and I, I was looking to start, I started my travel uh, nomad lifestyle and uh, asked her for a job and, and got a job working on the cruise ships. Unfortunately, within six weeks of of being on the ships, and we're off the wild coast of South Africa in the middle of winter, and they don't call it the wild coast for nothing. Uh-huh. The two oceans meet, the Indian and the, and the Atlantic, and there's huge swells, and it's right in the middle of winter, and, and we we started sinking in the middle of the night.
2: Sinking, I mean, as
0: in that terms of not
2: not thinking the English, but actually going down in, into the water.
0: Yes, yeah, we started taking on water All the lights went out, and... Goodness. It was it was a surreal experience for being sort of pretty young. I was twenty three at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happened was that the officers and crew we filled the first lifeboat with women and children. It could be because that's what you're told to do. Mm-hmm. And on the other side of the ship, most of the senior officers and crew, without a single passenger, left. They abandoned their posts, mm-hmm. and it left and it left this really incredible story where. Myself, I worked in a gift shop where there was people that were band leaders, were on the bridge calling out May Day and, and somebody answered and they said, what's your position on the ship? And he said, well, I'm the band leader. I said, well, where's the radio? I said, well, he's gone. The chief engineer is gone. So we had this really strange situation where uh, the people that weren't supposed to be doing that rescue ended they, up. They
2: were not supposed uh, to be off their posts. Sorry for interrupting. I just want to get this picture clear because it sounds like a movie
0: yes it did. it could have been made a movie uh-huh. luckily enough nobody died okay. uh, but yes the, the the vast majority of the, of the crew yeah. a, and the senior officers abandoned their post uh, discharged all their responsibilities wow. some that they you know they packed up their, their bags even and and they all just left us to it and said you know we we're, we're out of here the ship's sinking we yeah. nothing
2: we can do it, that that seems like something you shouldn't do. I mean, it, it is not seems, but it's it is something you shouldn't do. On the other hand, isn't that like a natural reaction that you you that you just do?
0: Yes, I think it is. Obviously, for people in high pressure jobs, and there's a lot of training that goes in that you should it should just kick in that you should automatically not be worried. You know, pilots. You've only got to see that yeah. film Scully where the the guy landed that the pilot landed that plane on the Hudson River, yeah, you know, for all these 40 years training. But you never know how you're going to react in this situation. And regardless of your pay grade, there was definitely people that were, were supposed to have been paid to to do that and didn't. And there was a bunch of us that had no idea what we were doing, but jumped in and, and, and said, well, okay, well, somebody's got to do something because um, we're, we're all left to our own devices. So right. as I said, it was a fascinating story, really good character building because because we survived a lot of funny moments that i remember great party anecdotes i always tell at dinner parties uh-huh. uh but yeah just a, a huge a huge pivotal moment in my life and a huge life lesson that i learned and <clears throat> excuse me did, did the ship eventually sink and everybody got off safe oh yes yeah it sunk it sunk to the bottom of the ocean so we got off i got off about started sinking saturday night at about 10 o'clock uh-huh. didn't sink till about 12 the next day and i got off about two hours before oh, so it was one of the last last people out of 600 people was probably the last 20 or so that got off
2: okay all right that's a um yeah that's a, that's an interesting story i didn't know i mean you mentioned that, that you worked at cruise ships before but you didn't say um that this actually happened to you as well and then that, that has not scared you enough to um not get back to to
0: being on cruise ships no, I did another nine years after that, so it's uh, it didn't put me off. As I said, I I took a key lesson from there, but also. I suppose, you know, in your early 20s, you think you're bulletproof, and it's already right. happened once, but the chance of it happening again, let's um, yeah, let's continue to do this and have some fun and see the world.
2: That's true. That's that same silly, silly joke, like, what are the chances that, you know, the two people are carrying a bomb on, on board an aircraft? Uh, well, very low. Well, you should be the second person then, because then you're actually uh, eliminating the chances of people getting having a bomb on board. <laughs> anyway, um, so this, this is the Culture Matters podcast, and we're talking about culture um, uh, as well. So what I'm interested in, the story I didn't know, so I'm, I'm glad you shared that with us. Uh, being on a cruise ship, there, what, what kind of uh, people, I mean, in terms of nationality, are usually on board there?
0: Oh, you're talking upwards of sometimes 60 or 70 different countries. It's a huge melting pot of uh-huh. diversity, diversity. Um, So everything from a lot of Filipinos in the tend to be in the sort of crew area. Yeah, Uh, but you know, just about any nationality, you name it, they they work on ships. And and um, from yeah, go ahead. From developing countries through to 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 US, all of Europe, everything you you meet a huge melting pot of, of very interesting people. Right. So so that's the working side. How about the passenger side? Uh, What it used to be predominantly American, that used to be the market, but Uh it has opened up now. uh, But it really depends on on the itinerary. As I said, I I travel the world, so I went everywhere from Alaska, went through the Suez Canal, Panama Canal, went to the top of Norway, a place called Spitsbergen, Mm -hmm. 24-hour daylight, uh, Mediterranean, Caribbean. But places like the Caribbean and Alaska and Hawaii tend to be predominantly American. But Mm -hmm. if you're in Europe... Um, or even asia you'll get more of more of local people just because the flights are cheaper and it's and it's more local but yeah every nationality you can think of cruises as well as as well as work on the ships
2: right is is, is that like a when you look at the, so the okay so it has opened up but it, it tends to be more western uh oriented in terms of passenger side if you look at the working side the people that actually operate man the ship and then do every everything that has to be done is does that melt together like being one like one culture, because I mean that ship is like like a floating island in a way. Or it does do these different cultures? Are do they stay distinct in terms of uh, the 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 management, in terms of captain and steering and navigation, will be Western oriented. Uh, and then you go a great down. I mean, does,
0: is that like like a stratified society, or how does that look like? It's a good question. It used to be certainly oh. the the, sh- the ship that sunk. They were. They were um, all Greek, uh-huh. so there was definitely that hierarchy. That all, all the officers and most of the crew were Greek, but then I've other worked on the ships where the officers tend to be more Western educated, and then the the less skilled jobs would tend to be from developing countries. But again, that that is changing as as we sort of open up this this global economy, right. and finding these yeah. positions available for for everybody and. Yeah. They they don't they don't discriminate probably they did twenty, thirty years ago based on your nationality. Okay, I'm I'm um, thinking
2: so, of, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about the how how I'm make, again air quotes how life is in, in the Middle East, like a place like Dubai for instance. You see still see that same stratification. <clears throat> Companies are owned by the Emiratis, it's managed by Westerns, then the, 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 the <clears throat> one management layer below that would be Indian, and the workers would be Filipinos. <clears throat> is that something i mean that is something that you could see there or in the past at least more so than now
0: you definitely see some of that that, that hierarchy that you talked about Yeah, some of it has been broken down but but absolutely um 20 30 years ago that's that's what it sort of looked mm. like okay. having yes. said that yeah. you 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 still mingle all together because there's a crew bar, there's a, there's a staff dining room where you all sort of meet. So you do still have that, that more interaction than, you know, you'll never see the the crew or you never see the officers because it, it's like a very nice floating prison because mm. lo- there's lots of perks of traveling around the world, but there's lots, lots of rules as well. The ship sails at a certain time. If you miss that, you're fired and <laughs> you, you've got, you've got, curf- you've got curfew, you've got, uh, behavioral standards and, and some do's and don'ts. Right. And and you're on show 24-7. It's not, it's not like an office job where nobody knows what you does, do outside of work. Mm-hmm. You're you're on constant display because you're on this ship and there's no getting off it um, while it's at sea. Yeah, makes good sense. Why do you stop a
2: job like that? Because it seems like a dream job.
0: Uh, Look, like you reach a certain age where it just isn't much fun. I, I'd, I'd seen vast majority of the, of the places so it was quite well i was seeing new countries and then eventually you reach that point also with globalization like any of these big companies mm-hmm. they just decided well what's the best way we can make more money and that's right. cutting the staff perks even though we're on the front line so it just wasn't as lucrative or as much mm-hmm. fun anymore that was mm-hmm. the simple answer so it was time to do something else yeah it makes
2: good sense you um uh you said you had some good funny anecdotes can you tell me one that really sticks out for you please
0: Oh, so when the ship was sinking, the, the, the last of the lifeboats had gone. There was a couple that we couldn't launch because we were listing to, too far to one side and, uh-huh. and we couldn't drop it because these huge swells. So the band, we've got about 170 people still on board and we've, we've marshaled them all into the into the area where, where the band played, in, into the sort of um, lounge area. So the band are playing a couple of songs just to keep people excited. and, and it was not excited, but not worrying. So they started singing uh, American Pie, Bye <laughs> Bye American Pie. And then they got to the phrase of, this will be the day that I die. <laughs> they had to very quickly change and, and put up another, and change to a different song. <laughs> <laughs> did they did did actually sing it or not? They stopped just as they got to that line because <laughs> they were just going through the numbers. They know the song and they went, sure. uh, This will, uh, okay, uh, let's, yeah. change, let's change the song. Was there any yeah. reaction from, the, from the passengers called- then? Well, you know, they were all in sort of a bit of shock anyway. So it wasn't, they didn't right. actually say the words, but they, they got right to that phrase and almost almost said it. And then in the morning, when the helicopters came, everyone's like, "Great, we're, we're saved!" And the South African Navy were winching people off on these helicopters. And this guy says to me, "He said, oh, I've got to go back to my room." And I said, "Well, why?" He said, "I've got my surfboard with me, and I don't want to lose that." Right. And I said, "Do you really think they're going to winch you up there with that harness on you? Two people up is what we were doing yeah. with a surfboard under your arm." And he said, "Well, maybe not. No, no, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right." <laughs> so. Just, and 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 there's extreme stress, people just say some of the craziest, um, stupidest things. But yeah.
2: now I can laugh about. it. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, now you can. But at that moment, of course, you must be—you uh, you must have been frightened for sure. Um, Ronan, you—you seem to be kind of a multi-talented person, or at least you the different phases in your life. Because <clears throat> uh, you lived in India as well. Was that before the cruising or after the uh, the, the cruise ship adventures?
0: I was in between. I went to live to India three times. I was working on a, on a ship between between Greece and Italy. Yes. And I really wasn't enjoying it. I got a postcard from, from some friends and say, hey, we're renting this house in India for six months. Come and stay. Okay. Where, where so in India was that? Believer, that was in Goa. Okay. Which is about eight hours south of Mumbai. Yep. Nice tropical sort of beaches, pretty pretty relaxed sort of lifestyle. You know, living the never ending beach mm-hmm. uh, scenario of nothing to do each day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I got this got this postcard from my friends, and and I'm a firm believer that especially in my early twenties, if I really wasn't enjoying a job, it was time to move on. It wasn't fair on my employer, it wasn't fair on me, so I quit almost immediately. Bought my ticket met them there in India and spent six months living in India. And, and because our, all our neighbours were were Indian, mm-hmm. the vast majority of them, there's a couple of a couple of Westerners, we immersed ourselves in the, the local sort of culture. Our next door neighbour, we went to his kids' sports day. We would take them out on our, on our motorbikes. We'd sort of um, play cricket with them. There'd be two, three of us Westerners and and all these Indian kids playing cricket with us. So it was a, it was a really fun time of being immersed in that in that uh in that culture and and with the locals including eating the hot chilies that they give us and then laugh as we started sweating and spitting it out and going Uh my max on fire Uh but it was it was just a really good experience to 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 be you know six months no work and and pretty much on holiday Mm -hmm. but but being with with the locals and 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 sharing their their lives and and getting to know them Mm -hmm. quite quite well was that
2: hard to integrate?
0: Because I mean it in
2: it's it's so different, the UK and India.
0: It's a little bit easier to integrate when you know you're not going to live there. So yes, there's there's challenges. You go right. to the post office and it takes you an hour just to, to, to buy a stamp and there's six people in there and and four staff and you go, What's going on? Yeah. Or if you want to if you want to cash a traveler's check, it just took forever. So there's they always say that um, the British invented bureaucracy and the Indians perfected it. <laughs> and if, if you've ever been to India, that is that is so true. I once cashed a traveler's cheque and, and I watched it pass through five people's hands before I got my money. And and it was just a process that went all around the bank just to give five people a job yep. when one person could do it. So 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 there's those cultural differences, but when you're not when you're not living there permanently. Right. It's a little bit easier. You, you don't have a huge amount of bureaucracy of buying somewhere or worrying about your gas or electricity. So it's it's a little bit easier.
2: Yeah. So you, I mean, uh, uh, even before going there, you decided I'm not going to stick around there forever.
0: Yes, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a permanent move. It was uh, a fixed time of you know six months, and mm-hmm. and as long as we like it, we did it six months, which we did. We absolutely loved it. So it had a start and an end date, which which I suppose in some ways makes it a little bit easier that, as I said, you're not trying to do all yep. the hard things of, of really trying to invest yourself into a new country.
2: Yeah, true. Okay, good point. Uh, interesting. I've never been to Goa. I've been to Calcutta on the other side and further up north, and Delhi as well. Uh, but I haven't seen the Goa site. The um, The formal Portuguese port it was, right?
0: Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, if you've been on the trains, I mean, I got the train over from uh, Bombay through to Calcutta and uh-huh. – that was a 57-hour, especially 36, and some accident happened. It was 57-hour train ride. So you know what it's like. And, and probably, Chris, you've been to India now, so you, you know the, the personal space. That was one of the strangest things yeah, about India. that Travelled all around the world, but you never get used to, because we have this aura, especially in the West, because we've grown up with quite a bit of space. Mm-hmm. If someone stands really close to you, unless they're a, a really close relative or friend, you've got this invisible space that you you guard and it's an automatic sort of size. In -hmm. India, it's far smaller. And you'll find that you're in a queue and next thing, there's somebody stood almost shoulder to shoulder with you. And and you look around and go, why are you standing this close to me? This is not normal. But it's normal for them. They've just, because of the the size of the the country and the amount of people, they've got a smaller gap between their personal space and what they find comfortable with. So that was one of the, that to me was one of the strangest things about India. Did you experience that?
2: Yeah, as well. My my uh, my in-laws, my ex- actually my ex-in-laws are Indian. I've been married to an Indian uh, for for ten years, and when we would go to Calcutta, where where the family would live or still lives actually, we would stay in in their apartment, and it wasn't a big apartment. We had our own room if you want to stay in. And, um, they would have a, a um, like <clears throat> a maid to help them cook, to clean the bathroom and to clean, well, the rest of the house. So there would be, uh, one, two, three, four, five people plus three maids. So eight people in an apartment, which a, a two bedroom apartment. And I, I could just not escape people. I would open. I would say, okay, yeah. I'll go. I'll, I'll go onto the balcony, and then somebody would be there. And then I'd go to the kitchen. No, but somebody would be there. And my, I can still remember my my uh, father-in-law was very surprised that I told him I'm going up on the roof of this building because I want to be alone. And he just did not like. Why do you want to be a- alone? I mean, you're here. So I wasn't trying to be rude, but indeed, I can very much relate to what you said in terms of. I, I want a bit of privacy, is a but I just whew, I want a bit of space. I mean, the, the word space is a good word actually to uh, to
0: summarize this. So yes, I can relate to this. Yes, it's a it's an interesting phenomenon, and you can talk about it and describe it, but until it actually happens to you, and it's not they're not they're not touching you, although no. some some do. It's it's just that that invisible space that you are used to, and and when people step into it we're just not comfortable because we just don't don't know them so yeah yeah, i I always found that that was probably one of my key sort of takeaways from india that's interesting okay well i've already mentioned that you were multi-talented or at least faced in life
2: in um, because you also mentioned that you do something with masterminding it's a total different subject and we're going from from cruise ships to from australia to cruise ships to india uh, onto masterminding um, explain, if you can, a little bit what, ma- what a mastermind or masterminding is in a few words. And what do you do with that?
0: Sure. Well, the, the mastermind concept mm-hmm. is coined by a guy called Napoleon Hill from his book from the 30s called Think and Grow Rich. Uh-huh. And he worked with Dale Carnegie and, uh, sorry, uh, and, and all of those really huge um, titans from, from the time. The, the huge sort of steel barons, J.D. Rockefellers in oil, mm-hmm. um, J.P. Morgan, all of those people, and they came together to form this. I suppose it's called a mastermind, but it's it's like a conglomerate where they all sort of helped each other out in business.
2: Yeah,
0: uh, and that's the that's the idea. But in the simplest terms, if you've ever been to a gallery and seen Renoir or Degas or Monet,
2: uh-huh.
0: that whole idea of the Impressionist movement happened because they all worked together. They used to meet up in this cafe in Paris almost nightly, and they would discuss um, where the art movement was going, what they believed in, and they would share canvas, they would share paint, they would share ideas. And together, they actually created the Impressionist movement. They create a whole new art revolution. So it didn't happen. It wasn't just one of them saying, this is the d- direction of art. Uh-huh. They, they collaborated together. So that's probably the best example mm. of, a, of a true mastermind. And it really is just this idea of people coming together and one plus one equals three. If you've got six business owners in a room, and the, in, in a room either physically or online, and they've got a decade's worth of experience, you've got 60 years worth of experience in true. there. So if you're asking a question, you've got a problem, you've got multiple viewpoints. You've got people that probably seen that issue before, and can give you some some really good guidance and feedback and support that you will never get just from reading a blog post or mm. or looking at um, a video online. So it's this idea of coming together and, and creating that uh, that that small sort of group that that the people support and help each other. Okay. And I also teach experts how to do that because we most experts reach a point where they get stuck doing what they're good at. Yeah. And, and they just do the same thing. So um, great chefs just just cook, trainers just train, accountants just account. Yeah. But the really innovative ones reach that point where they say, you know what, I've got all this skill and this knowledge, I can teach other people and, and they can learn from me mm-hmm. in this sort of small group. And so they create their own little mastermind groups where they pass on what they know and they teach the most valuable part of, of things, like a shortcut or a playbook people saying okay great um, you might be for example there's a fairly new concept called a virtual cfo so it's a it's basically a, a chief financial officer that used to work at just one company and, and did all their forecasting reporting and now as as some companies downsize they say okay look i can take on 15 20 clients and i can i can help help, help more people Mm-hmm. So if somebody wants to start that that job and don't really know exactly how to do that, you can fumble your way through for six, 12, nine months, however long it takes to you to get up that skill set. Or you can join a mastermind from a virtual CFO that's done it for the last five years and has all the systems, uh, what, what, what software to use, what reporting they should be giving their clients, what, how they should pack it up their prices, all that shortcut so that... You bypass that steep learning curve of going. I don't really know what I'm doing, and potentially sort of quit. Right. So that's the idea behind the, the mastermind philosophy.
2: Are, are you I involved? I guess you're involved in, in a mastermind or several mastermind. And does that cross any any borders or any cultures?
0: Oh yes, everywhere. It's um, this is a, a global phenomenon. As more and more people move towards the. Uh, internet age of of information and and, and teaching people uh-huh. then then yes it's 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 global and you'll pick up certain nuances maybe that there, there'll be a hr um, mastermind somewhere where people in in holland or people in the us are, are doing things culturally slightly different and when they come together they end up with the best outcome of two of those countries or three countries it doesn't really matter it's a little bit like the the the, the Kaysian, um, method or the Japanese just in time back in the seventies, right. a great idea can come from any country and any culture, and it can be adopted far more easily and far quicker mm-hmm. in in the age that we live in now, where we are far more connected and able to quickly implement those new ideas and, and new methods and a new way of, of of teaching something. Are you? Um, uh, I mean, are you actively involved in a mastermind at this moment, or or several masterminds? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. done a couple late last year, uh, which which stopped, and I'm I'm looking to to join others as well because I don't have it all figured out. I, uh-huh. I'm I'm as much as a student as everybody else. So, yeah, always trying to learn. And what I what I love about the mastermind is that it doesn't matter where the right answer comes from. I, I've run groups where where somebody's talking about a problem to somebody else, and a third person is then furiously writing down notes, and they're saying, "Actually, I hadn't thought of that." Yeah. that's perfect for my business, or uh, I, I never knew that. So, or they might come up with this really left field answer that no one thought of. So it doesn't matter where the answer comes from, as long as you get the, the right answer or or certainly improve that knowledge. So that's the, that's the benefit yeah. of, of having that sort of group of people.
2: In, in this mastermind that you're referring to, are these only uh, British or Australian or Westerns, or is this like a multicultural group as well?
0: I tends to be, I mean, it's English speaking, but yeah, I've had groups where I've had people from from Malaysia, Australia, the US, Hawaii, the UK, all in the one group. Mm-hmm. So absolutely melting pot, cross cultures, um, common languages that you speak English because yep. that would make it too hard to have too many different um, yeah, yeah. nationalities that don't speak the same language. But then everything else is, you know, it's universal. If you want to know about... Um, software as a service, uh, SaaS, if you want to know about the latest HR trends, or if you want to know about e-commerce and and how to improve your e-commerce site, then it doesn't matter who you connect with, you've all got similar pain points of of where you are in the journey of of trying to improve your business and grow. Yeah, true.
2: What's the biggest benefit you got, you actually yourself got out of um, uh, uh, being part, participating in a mastermind?
0: But it, it sounds a bit of a cliche. There's a the whole thing about, around mindset the last sort of five, ten years. Everyone sort of talks about it. But you don't really, you don't really know something until, until you've actually spoken to other people. Like I said, yeah. you can read a blog post, you can watch a video, and you go, yeah, I know that. But until you sit down and, and the penny drops and you get that deeper learning and sometimes you get context behind the content – yeah. And that's where the, the real learning occurs and when you actually adopt something. So um, I was in a mastermind last year and, and this guy said, he said, my mentor told me, and this is a very smart guy, he said, my mentor told me that his biggest learning is that he spends uh, an hour every day on education and he, and he blocks it in and that's what he does. And and I started doing that and, and I've just seen a huge increase in, in my knowledge. And hmm. so that you, you find from other people, things that work for them and look not all advice is perfect for you and advice is even right but sometimes you've got to try it and and actually see. okay does does it work for me does just getting up which i now do at six in the morning and and meditating and exercising and knowing that come by seven o'clock i've done the two hardest things that i know that if i don't do them first thing I'll put them off. Like yeah, it's 7:42 yeah. here now. Yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go and exercise now. It's for me. It's too late in the evening in my head. Yeah. So I do it first. So just finding um, new, exciting, interesting ways to challenge yourself, challenge your mindset, and just be around people that, that think bigger, that dream bigger, uh, and that have similar um, out- outlooks on life to you.
2: Yeah, it's it's I'm, I'm thinking while you're while you're talking, I've been part of, uh, of two mastermind groups as well, currently not anymore, but I'm looking forward to maybe start up one again, <clears throat> is that um, it's there indeed it, it and it does enrich you, you do take things out and it might be the um. I'm, I was thinking, is this the only thing that might be culturally neutral? Because I don't think many things are culturally neutral. I mean not eat, eating is not culturally neutral for sure um, but I wonder if this this sharing of knowledge and information and and you know getting out knowledge or, or giving knowledge. I wonder if that's culturally neutral i'm not i'm'm I'm, I'm thinking out loud at this moment while we're recording this so i I don't have the um uh, an answer to that. Do you have any thoughts on that?
0: It's a good question. I think it's pretty close. What, what we do know is that we are hardwired to be surrounded by people and be raised by a village and all of those things. And in the last 100 years or so, and, and certainly even faster now, a lot of that has broken down. And if you look at the the journey of an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. most of the media now portray this loner that's with their laptop in a basement right. turns it into a million dollars. The reality is that, Every single successful person has had help on the way and had a lot of help.
2: Yeah. Uh,
0: and whether that's mentors, coaches, uh, mastermind groups, uh, they've they've they bought bought and read books, they've listened to podcasts, they they've had help. They they just virtually nobody joins all the dots themselves. So that yeah, you're right that, that idea that um, sharing sharing knowledge has always been with us uh, as a as a as a species. And, and we tend to forget that. So we tend to think of, of a mastermind group as something that's new and innovative. It's not. It's just, it's just the fact that if you are in a certain space, in a business space, and the majority of your friends and relatives are in the corporate world, you've got different challenges, different mindsets, and different way of thinking because you're out there trying to improve your ideas and, and, and test yourself and they're in a an environment where they're they're given the work for the most part, and yeah. that's that's a big difference. Yeah, uh, so building up that resilience and surrounding yourself with the people that, that get you, not that your family and friends don't, but there's you know people people that are entrepreneurs are quite quite visionary. They're quite driven. They they you know they they're looking for something to build something and something bigger, and therefore they want to surround themselves with with those similar yeah. similar people. Yeah.
2: It sounds, uh, it sounds familiar and very much relatable too. Um, I'm looking at the, at the clock here and, um, it's ticking at 37 minutes, which is a longer conversation than I usually have. And that's only because I thought it was, a, it's interesting. And I am enjoying the conversation as well. Having said that, I think we should, um, segue towards the, uh, uh, and, and rounding things up. Um, so I'm, I am going to ask you the two last questions. Uh, the one but last question is something I prepped you for as well. So let's see what comes out. Can you give us three tips to become more culturally competent?
0: Uh, one is travel. it, it uh-huh. massively broadens our horizons. Uh, the second one is to, to read more. And, and the third one is to, to ask better questions.
2: That's that's so that's so short and straightforward that only an Anglo-Saxon I think can put it. Ask a better question. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ronan, it's been a, it's been a real pleasure to uh, talking to you. And if people want to reach out to you and want to want to know more about you or what you do uh, and how you can help them out uh, as well, how can people get in touch with you?
0: They can find me on LinkedIn, Ronan Leonard, the Mastermind Guy, or my website is accountability.io. So it's a play on words from accountability okay uh, sounds, so it starts with the sounds good all right perfect
2: well thanks again for your time um i wish you a great evening in melbourne australia and i'm pretty sure we'll bump into each other in the future love you thank you very much for having the show chris appreciate it ronan thank you again um like i said i'm pretty sure we'll bump into each other in the future and if you have not subscribed to this podcast i think you could do that right now in itunes stitcher uh, or spotify and even alexa has the culture matters podcast if you do leave an I- um, a review in itunes that would be itunes that would be really appreciated as well Uh, The music that you hear in the background comes from Bensound. Check it out at bensound.com. My name is Chris Smith. This was the Culture Matters podcast, and I'll be back in two weeks' time. Take care. Talk to you soon. Bye.
1: That's it for this episode. Culture Matters, making you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences. Your host, Chris Smith, has a plan. A plan for people who are looking for a solution.